You're listening to Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. Good morning, honey. It's Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word. We're on Psalm 120, Part 2. And these particular psalms that we're studying right now are the psalms of ascent, which means to go up. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the going up is to Jerusalem, mm-hmm. sung by travelers on the road on the way to Jerusalem for festival days, for worship times at the temple. As modern-day believers, we tend to not put a whole lot of emphasis to ritual mm through studies of sociologists and psychologists and therapists and even theologians, how important ritual can be in our lives. These psalms were used as a ritual of preparing themselves for worship at the temple. And each of them was sung or recited in a specific place along their journey. They thought through what they were singing and what it meant in their lives. And they knew the history of the actual psalm better than we do. They knew why those specific words were chosen and what they meant, kind of translated into their own journey in their own life and say, this is significant for me because these things happened historically in these places. As we read through this, it's important for us to know the history. This was not written for me in 2023. This was written thousands of years ago and has been used in hundreds of thousands of worshippers' lives throughout the millennium. When they're walking too, this is a spiritual geography they're walking through. And if you have gone on this journey to Jerusalem more than once, you remember what you went through the first time Mm. around. You're recounting that experience. You're reliving it literally. And at a certain part of geography physically, you would change your tune. Mm -hmm. You would tune your mind to a new subject. You would follow the lead of the worship leader saying, now let's think about, let's talk about, let's sing about this part of God's character or this place that is blessed by God to be his homeland, to be his seat of presence where we draw close to God. Mm -hmm. And the Psalms themselves, as you're going up in Jerusalem, increase in their intensity and focus on the person that they would worship when they arrived. And so all of that's happening across a very long period of time for us. Our attention spans are very short in this generation. (laughs) Things may not seem quite so long in their minds as they travel because they're used to walking long distances. But nonetheless, if you're at that place in your journey where you know, okay, this is where the transition happens. This is where the climb is going to get more difficult. This is where the expectation is going to grow. This mm-hmm. is where the sense of waters of refreshing coming up at a spring ahead of us to literally water our animals is coming up. That would become very internalized for them. It would become part of the whole scene, the whole pageant of worship that culminates at the temple. It's not something you just do to to bide your time. It's something you do to prepare yourself for the most important thing. It's thought that, and they're pretty sure of it, that these psalms were also used by the priests as they walked up the steps Mm. into the holier place of the temple. There's like 15-ish psalms and about 15 steps, and each step a different psalm was recited Mm. until they were up to the top of this portico area. That is, again, significant in the way that they journey and intensify. And each as step has its own story, too. Yeah. They're recounting something that was many, many, many years in the making. Mm-hmm. So in that little capsule of one step, they would say, this represents all of these things we've gone through as a people. Mm-hmm. All the things that God has brought us through. 
and we recount those things as a celebration of God's faithfulness. Every step, every song has deep roots in their own history. Mm-hmm. Of course, we don't catch that if we just read the psalm. They're beautiful words, and they have interesting images. We look up the places that are mentioned. I want to go ahead and read again Psalm 120, it's just a few verses, and we'll take another crack at it today. Now, I'll do it from the NIV this time, which most of us have heard in the style of English that it's written in. Verse 1, I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more besides, you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom bush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And that last sentence to me is just a powerful one because it, it indicates that there is an ongoing feud in these places that is not resolved. Mm. Maybe even today has echoes. Yeah. But let's go up to the very top of the setting. Let's discuss what the first thing this person does, this poet. He says, I call on Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Mm-hmm. That begs a question for me. What kind of distress? Not just general distress. We don't just walk outside and say, ah, horrible. Yeah. And someone says, what? what? What's horrible? And you ignore what they say to you. You just go about your day mourning about something or wailing about something. You never tell anybody what the problem is. It makes no sense. So if we look at a scripture like this, it is appropriate for us to ask the poet and ask God himself, what's distressful here? What's going on that would cause this person to cry out to you that would compel you to answer him Mm. that is important enough to you? Well, the word distress itself is not just a simple annoyance. Right. The definition of the word distress is extreme anxiety. Right. Sorrow or pain or yeah. deep lament. That's the actual definition of distress. And I think sometimes we have lessened the meanings of words. Of We've just morphed them and changed them to, you know, people say, oh, I hate yeah. rain. Oh, I love chocolate. Well, that could be extreme if you're thinking about the actual definition. Or something of those as words. simple as saying he literally did this right. when he didn't. He yeah. metaphorically <laughs> right, did that. Exactly. We have not just conflated words; we've inverted them so yeah. often in our language because we use them as our own compound metaphors to describe something. We are trying to add excitement to something that seems dull. Yeah. Or we're trying to numb down something which is really traumatic. Yeah. Either way, it's like we are editing as we go along through life. Mm-hmm. This poet that writes this poem, this psalm, is starting with a statement of great duress. Mm -hmm. The flag is on fire at the front of the battlefield. We are about to be overwhelmed is the imagery Mm -hmm. that is put on the very first line of a poem of ascent. Well, I guess when you're at the bottom of everything, everything else is up. If you're at the bottom of Foxhole or you tumbled into a pit that was formed by an artillery shell, like many people on the battlefields even today in the 21st century are doing literally Mm -hmm, right now, mm -hmm. and you look up saying, well, I survived this. You don't know. So while you're in that hole trying to cover yourself from the fire flying over your head, wondering if the next bomb's going to land on you, what are you going to think about? This is an existential moment. Do I continue to exist or will I not? Mm. Will I be somewhere else in a flash that I've never been to before in the afterlife? Or will I survive this and have a story to tell? Will I make it back to my family? Those are the kind of images that are summoned up 
in this. And I wonder why it's so distressful for the poet to bring that idea, that concept up here on this journey, this place on the way up to Jerusalem. Well, originally the psalm was not written for that specific purpose. But it is employed here. But it is employed here. You're right. I see it a little differently than you're seeing it. I mean, yes, there is that boom, I'm in deep, horrible distress and anxiety, and it's extreme. But the very next sentence, or it's the same sentence even, there's just a comma, Mm -hmm. he answers me. And it says to me that there is a God who hears, there is a God who sees, there is a God who is acquainted with my situation. And we, we read that in Isaiah about Jesus himself, the prophecies, like he was a man of sorrows, he's acquainted with grief, right. he's knowledgeable of our situation. Yes. And this psalmist is saying, I cried, I called on the Lord in my distress, in this extreme anxiety, in this terrible situation, and he answered me. Yeah. In Scripture, when you see a statement of this, then that, it provides us with the courage to say, if then statements as a result. So if this has been the case for this poet, this prophet of God's presence, the encouragement to say, well, if you will call on the Lord in your distress, he will answer. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously that's that's implied in there. And that's the hope that rises up in our heart when we read a phrase like that. And if nothing else from the entire psalm gets lifted from this, we say, (laughs) this truth I want to hang my hat on and camp out on this when I need it. Let verse 1 right. be something that anchors your faith, because there is going to be times when things are distressful. I'm just reading even today about the distress of the Palestinian Christians, and they've lost the third oldest church in the world mm-hmm. just last night, while people were seeking sanctuary inside the church, hoping that the war would not approach that sanctuary, and yet it did We have no idea at this point how completely destroyed the building is or if there's any remnant left that can be restored. We don't know. Mm -hmm. We just know that many people are dead that thought maybe here in this church I'll have safety for the time being or at least away from the harm Mm -hmm. of the war. Mm -hmm. It didn't come for them today. That grieves me deeply. I got to think that on an even deeper level, if the thing we're praying for, the end of a war doesn't happen right away, What other things are even deeper and more distressful that need to be answered by God that he can and will, no matter what the circumstances? Mm. I do believe there's a sense where there's a kind of spiritual and existential distress, which only God can comfort or help our souls survive it. Mm. And I got to think that even in the face of death, like martyrs across the centuries, knowing that that particular prayer of living for the next day in this world is probably not going to happen. Is there still a deeper distress that God can and always does answer? Mm -hmm. And I do think that answer is yes. And calling out to God for whatever his will is for us, like Jesus on the cross, he did not escape death that day. He literally went to the cross knowing what was coming and knowing that no matter what, he would be obedient, that God would be faithful to him. And even then, it was so devastating for him that he cries out, In the words of the prophet, why are you forsaking me? Why are you leaving me alone? Mm -hmm. And that devastates. Whether getting Bibles into closed countries, relief supplies into dangerous refugee camps, or providing training in theology books to barefoot pastors as they begin their ministry, these are all the kind of things that we love to share with you every day. And more importantly, they're the kind of things we like to do. The first and best way to reach us is through our website, CompassionRadio.com. You can also support us with a call during Pacific Time business hours at 1-800-868-2478. 
You can also text COMPASSION to 53445 to give right through your phone, no matter where you are. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. We so much value your messages and letters. And know this, your gift is deeply appreciated. Thank you for loving us in this way. And even then, it was so devastating for him that he cries out in the words of the prophet, why are you forsaking me? Why are you leaving me alone? Mm -hmm. And that devastates. Yeah. Honey, I know that there's been times in each of our lives when we have felt that deep despair of Mm -hmm. being left alone and wondering where God was, begging him to show up. All through the book of Psalms, we find that. We find that in the Psalms of David that Mm -hmm. we just did a whole series on. We find that in other Psalms that are written by different authors that have said, where are you, God? Why didn't you show up when I needed you? Why weren't you rescuing me? Yet there's always always that turn of phrase somewhere in the psalm after this great lament that God meets them at their lowest place. And, you know, it doesn't always have to be at our lowest place that God meets us. But I am a firm believer that God is in that place, even if we don't perceive him. It's like he's already arrived at the lowest spot, knowing he's got to be there with his catcher's mitt, literally, (laughs) to to receive us at that point where there is nothing left to veil. There's no pretension left in us. C.S. Lewis writes, till we have faces, until we're completely Mm -hmm. unveiled and really known by the gods. And it is absolutely when we are faced with a crisis of unveiling that we are left with nothing else to hide. We can't pretend anymore that we're left with a real us. And we're also left with a real God as he really is. Mm -hmm. It's at that moment we find out whether or not we're going to be judged and destroyed or accepted and forgiven. We really don't know if we're hiding something if we'll really be accepted because Mm -hmm. we know we're hiding. There's no hiding in this kind of distress like described in this verse. And I do believe that he answers us when we're completely stripped of all pretense. Mm -hmm. Well, the psalmist then turns and says, with confidence, save me, Lord, yeah. from deceitful lips, from lying. And that from comes lines. after that. Yeah. After that answer's come, that he's there, is when he has the courage to actually ask something mm-hmm. genuine, something he really desires. Mm-hmm. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and deceitful tongues. That seems like an interesting pivot. Mm-hmm. It seems like there's been like a physical threat, like there's robbers hiding in crevices or something along the road, and we're going to be having to resist you know, a mugging along the road here or something. Mm-hmm. The pivot turns to what is true and what is false. What do I believe? What do I fear? What do I hope? What do I despair of? Those things seem to be the issues in the next couple of sentences. Yeah. We can look at it in a way that the psalmist is either asking God to keep him from lying and being Mm. deceitful or to keep him from others' falsehoods, things that have been said about him that are untrue. And believing the falsehoods. Yeah. Internalizing them and responding more to them than to the truth that God says about himself. And honestly, if someone has decided something about you, it's very difficult for that to be changed, yeah. whether it's true or not. And in the case of God, it's a very good thing. Yeah. I was looking at the difference between lying and deceit. They're coupled together here in the structure of the poem. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. It seems like their lips say something a certain way. Mm-hmm. They may be throwing at you all kinds of falsehoods, but the tongue and the lips are related, but not always the same. Mm-hmm. So they go together. And I think what the poet is saying is that lips and tongues are very close together, but they're not always saying the same thing. Lying and deceit right next to each other can accomplish nefarious things. 
but they're not always the same. They're not ever really the same thing exactly. So the definition, by the way, is this. Lying is simply the act of deliberately presenting something which is known by the liar to be untrue and presenting it as truth. Deceit is any act aimed at the concealment, distortion, or misinterpretation of truth. Mm. In the court of law, we talk about to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's about lying. But we often soft-pedal the issue of deceit, of misrepresenting something, or Mm -hmm. gently swaying, or not really fessing up completely. Not telling the whole truth about something. We, I think as humans, can look a lie in the face and say, no, that's not true. End of story. But we have a harder time sussing out what you said doesn't really represent what happened. Mm -hmm. And having to go further into the issue with somebody and to correct a misunderstanding a gentle misdirection or a perspective or an opinion that borders on outright falsehood but is still bending you away from the truth is much harder. Mm -hmm. So I think when the poet is saying lying lips and deceitful tongues, you know, the tongue can wag longer than the lips can spit. (laughs) And the story can be spun out very long and leading you to a very strange place you never expected to go. Would you think that maybe deceit might have a nugget of truth in it or a hint of truth in it so that it's not outright lie? You can stack all kinds of facts together and not tell the truth. Mm -hmm. I think Mark Twain was famous for saying there's lies, damnable lies, and statistics. (laughs) I mean, it gets worse and worse as you start stacking up facts. Right. Either way, it seems like the poet here is worried that I'm going to start buying into things that would dissuade me from the thing I'm called to do. Mm. You know, the whole preparation here in verse one and two is about save me from something. But what you don't say is for what reason? Mm. Why would I need to be saved now? Yeah. Well, this is a song of ascent because if you're stuck in a inner dialogue, that's a downward spiral and you're worn out emotionally, physically, and you're fearing what might be coming ahead of you. And that's where your mind is camped out. Your heart is following that thought. What's going to happen when you get to the Temple Mount? Probably nothing good. Right. I would say the reason in this case that this particular appeal is being made to God to correct this inner dialogue or to save the poet from being assaulted by falsehoods and lies is so that the mind and heart can be clear and correctly focused on the truth when you arrive where you're going. So you can hear God speak. You know it's his word. You're not believing something about him that's not true. Wow, this is an incredible reminder to me, just in the car on the way to church. (laughs) On the way to our places of worship, what are we thinking and what are we asking God to clear us of Mm. as we go into worship, as we go in to prepare our hearts and minds to hear from God's Word? This is a great way to start our journey. And if nothing else but walking to the car and driving a few miles to the church of your choice, not as strenuous probably as walking up a 30-mile journey (laughs) from Jericho up through dark valleys and a tough climb of 3,000 feet elevation and trying to get it all done in a day, which some tried to do. Nonetheless, we have a sense of some things are probably going to be more difficult than others, but we know we have a journey ahead of us and just have to buckle down and do this. Mm -hmm. If one of those things is preparing our hearts for what God's called us to do or a place to be, we got to take it as seriously as the poet, the psalmist here tells us to. Yeah, I won't go with the middle imagery here about sharp arrows or the burning coals, those kind of things. Those are deeper metaphors for getting your whole mind clarified and the air clear. But that very last verse, I want to explore that for a couple of seconds. At the end of all this distress and hearing God's answer and him fighting for us and everything, 
there's a whole downshift or something happens here where the poet then says, Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. But I am for peace. But when I speak, they are for war. He's back around to the beginning of saying, I want to be about peace. I want to be at peace with you, God. I want to speak about peace. I want the things coming off of my lips mm -hmm. to be about peace. But there are others that hear those words coming off our lips and say, forget that. You have pitted yourself against us, mm -hmm. and we are going to remain at war with you. Mm -hmm. So there is a sense, I think, that even in the pursuit of God and holiness and going to him, there's going to be resistance, and there's going to be a sense of it is an offense to others when we want to pursue God. Mm -hmm. It is not that others take offense to us acting belligerently about what we believe. It is that in reality, in spiritual reality, when people see what we're really up to, the change that's really happening in us, the willingness we're in our hearts to lay down our lives and do difficult things to find God where he is and go to him, does offend the spirit in others that do not want the truth out, mm -hmm. that don't want God to be ascendant. They don't want him to, and his rule or his kingdom to conquer the earth. And they don't want their apple cart upset. Yeah, and there are plenty of people in this world who have a lot of vested interests in controlling others. Yeah. And when you are free of that control of others and free to offer yourself to God without fear of being rejected, that God will accept you because of who he is, his nature. People look at that that want to control and say, that's got to be stopped because they're not afraid of us anymore. Mm -hmm. And every tyrant, every despot, every dictator that's ever existed wants that fear of them, not a wholesome and holy fear of God. Well, we see that in a lot of places today. We see that, unfortunately, in some places of worship, in some churches, where there is a central figure that is so controlling over those that serve with or under them that anyone that has a dissenting voice right. is automatically construed as an outlier or yeah. a heretic or pot stirrer, if you will. Yeah. And they want to get rid of them because it upsets the balance of power for them. It threatens their position. It threatens them, yeah. And their influence. This is a very hard place to be. Mm. If we look at our lives and all of us can say, oh yeah, I absolutely want to speak for peace. I want to stand up for peace. I am for peace and, and the truth. I'm peaceable. And all this, I'm peace <laughs> yeah, all of these things. But when it starts to affect relationships yeah. and position, it gets very scary. Yeah. This is not a poem or a psalm to be read or prayed lightly no. at all. This is a very deep and important commitment that we make and that the sojourners made yes. on their pilgrimage. If we start with a prayer before a psalmist saying, God, what is it that you want to see in me? Mm. What are you about? Help me to approach your heart the way you deserve to be approached, the way you deserve to be worshipped. What is it about you I need to know and understand and incorporate into my heart right now before I even start speaking these words? Because I don't want to speak falsehoods. Mm -hmm. I don't want to speak falsely about my commitment, my allegiance to you. I want to know that what comes out of my lips to you is not a lie. Unveil me. Mm -hmm. You know, That is the prime challenge, I think, about a psalm like this. But there's incredible power discovering that through this process of letting God do the purging, confessing things that are true about him, and learning to actually believe these things and not just give lip service to them, that we are liberated. Mm. And then we find out we don't just have a king or a despot at the head of this kingdom called the kingdom of God. We have a liberator who's always stripping away the subjugation that the world depends on. We're liberated to be in 
Christ fully. Mm-hmm. And that's the call here. So I would say that this is a powerful song of ascent. If we're willing to start with the true questions, Lord, what do I need to know right now mm-hmm. before I enter into this place and make a fool of myself? Yeah, praying this with power and conviction. And that, of course, is what happens, friends, when you jump into a scripture more than once. <laughs> Last week, we had a great discussion on some themes that erupted from our reading of this same psalm. And this week had a totally different vibe to it because I think the Holy Spirit moves us through a lot of different thoughts and feelings that we need to really unpack. And that's what the scripture's for, friends, is helping us to unpack the things of our hearts that need to be looked at, analyzed, presented, mm-hmm. offered. And to build the things in our heart that bring about the fruit so that God can be honored. So I invite you to stop by our Compassion Radio website and get a study guide from this particular week of Psalm 120. Every week we'll have a Bible study guide available for you for download. And we love you. Thank you for joining us today. And we'll be back with more Compassion Radio on tomorrow's program. Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. We need you, friend, so contact us today.